I'm Peter Medlin, and welcome back to Teacher's Lounge. Wow, wow, wow. I am so excited to bring you this episode. And the reason is, or one of the reasons is, is because I am recording this from actually inside of the WNIJ studio for the first time And gosh, look at my watch for a minute, 18 months or so, and... Unfortunately, that's not because, you know, the pandemic is over or anything. Gosh, I wish that it was. But it's because I am here this week for WNIJ's fall membership campaign where we're asking you if you like shows like Teacher's Lounge, if you like our programming at WNIJ to consider supporting us financially. You know, it doesn't have to be a certain dollar amount, but whatever works for you. Think about donating, and you can do that online at WNIJ.org, which is also a place that you can hear this podcast. But anyway, getting down to brass tacks, if you've never heard our show before, if you're stumbling into this episode of Teacher's Lounge, our show is based on a pretty simple idea, that we've all had teachers in our lives who shaped who we are, and we want to hear about the educators who inspired you. Every educator we have on this podcast, whether teacher, coach, counselor, or chemistry professor, is nominated by you, our listeners. So please tell us about the person who comes to your mind when we say that. Shoot us an email and nominate people at teacherslounge at niu.edu. They could be on the podcast. Today we have part two of our conversation with Jeff Pittner. He's a psychology teacher at Guilford High School in Rockford, and he's also the coach of their outstanding esports team. Again, this is the second part of our conversation, so if you haven't heard the first, I encourage you to run back and check out that episode now. Jeff and I talked about how the pandemic has impacted the social dynamics of his classroom every day, what he's learned from critical race theory, video games, and the psychology behind why we keep coming back to pop culture we love so much at specific points of our lives. And your favorite music, not only is it when you were a teenager, typically what you remember as your best memories of music, but it also is when your parents were teenagers, uh, oddly enough. So you liked the music you liked as a teenager in high school, and then you also liked the music your parents liked when they were teenagers, you heard it growing up. Is that why so, I listen to Steely uh, Dan? <laughs> that that yeah. could be it. <laughs> Before we get to that conversation, we have another story for you. You know, we know that today's students in 2021 are preparing to live and work in an ever global world. And I got to report on an Illinois program aimed at helping them operate in cultural contexts beyond their own and enact change on an actual global scale. Every Illinois Global Scholar Capstone Project starts with a question. Braden Hagers was a bit unusual. Can misinformation be used for positive purposes? The 2021 high school graduate quickly discovered that the answer was a resounding no. But with a semester still left to try and make tangible change, he quickly altered course. To not fall for, for misinformation, you need to understand how it works. So that's where we're like, huh, that's a job for education. And if it's a job for education, that's a job for legislation. So, he thought, does Illinois have any laws mandating media literacy in schools? It didn't. People love to complain about how school doesn't teach you what you need to know. Hopefully, this is one of those times where someone can look at a class and be like, huh, that's pragmatic. That semester-long research turned into a senior year-spanning marathon of calls with state representatives, witness slips, and committee testimonies over Zoom. In the end, the bill was passed. It's no wonder why Hager's pursuing political science in college this year. The Capstone Project isn't the only part of the Illinois Global Scholar Program. High schoolers have to hit four requirements, including globally focused courses and service learning. Seth Brady is a social studies teacher at Naperville Central High School and is a project director for its global scholars, including Hager. That process, asking an actionable question, seeking out experts, and then actually looking to affect measurable change has been utterly transformative. The Illinois Global Scholar Program has been around since 2017. Brady was part of a coalition of teachers, administrators, and business supporters who pushed for the Global Competency Certificate. They're still working on expanding the program across the state, but last year over 100 students became Illinois Global Scholars. Brady says several students have received scholarship opportunities and internships related to their capstone projects. Other global scholars have had their work published right away in professional journals and interrogated issues like fighting Ebola in Sierra Leone. Even though physical travel for her project wasn't possible thanks to COVID-19, Asta Chohan's semester-long work was focused on India. 
She was another of Brady's students this past year. Chohan's question asked about why there's so much of a stigma around sexual education in South Asia. Even living here, I've lived in America since I was three. Like, I've experienced it, like, even being so far removed. Um, and I've seen, like, all of my family friends who are from South Asian communities experience it as well. So it just, like, really was a pressing question of, like, why did that happen? And, like, what can we do to combat it? Her research found that it hasn't always been extremely taboo. Chohan says India used to be more tolerant of queer identities. In some areas of the country, menstruation was sacred. Western colonialism repressed much of that, and she says corruption in modern Indian politics only perpetuates that stigma today. She reached out to Indian grassroots sexual education and mental health organizations through Instagram and started volunteering remotely. She says sexual health curriculum requirements don't really exist in Indian schools. Even if they had a chapter on, like, the reproductive system or something, the teacher would just completely skip over it. Like, there was no accountability. Now she's building an educational website geared towards younger students. There are tabs for everything from reproductive anatomy, puberty, menstruation, and LGBTQ plus history. Chohan says even though social media has increased educational resources at their disposal, there's still not nearly enough available for people to access, especially in rural parts of India. Her teacher, Seth Brady, says the ability to connect with real experts and collaborate in different cultural contexts gives students like Brayden and Asta a major leg up. And the experience of making real change in high school gives them the confidence to confront any problem they may see for the rest of their life. Okay, now for a quick news roundup of some stories you just might have missed, might have slipped through the cracks over the past few days or weeks. Illinois' vaccine mandate for teachers went into effect recently, and at some schools, there have been a few challenges along the way. Mel Gilfillan says around 80% of Rockford Public Schools' teachers are fully vaccinated. He's the president of their teachers' union, the Rockford Education Association. Those who haven't been vaccinated are required to get tested weekly, but the district doesn't have the capacity to test in-house yet. We do expect tests here by the last week of September, you know, right up to the 1st of October to make it much easier for us to uh, get our members tested. Gilfillan says they were surprised by the mandate and the logistics to regularly test staff wasn't set up. Unvaccinated teachers and staff have had to find testing elsewhere or else they won't be allowed back in the building. The union president says so far with a majority of staff vaccinated, they have been able to limit large-scale quarantines that hindered classes last year. Some Northern Illinois school administrators have said their teachers have had trouble finding accessible testing, and fully vaccinated students don't need to immediately quarantine if they're a close contact of someone who tested positive in a school, but they do need to be tested and isolate if they develop symptoms. In other news, extreme school bus driver shortages are still occurring all across the state. The Oswego School District recently had to move students fully remote for a day because they had so many drivers call off. Now, Rockford is dealing with that problem too. If you remember from one of our last shows, in September they had about a dozen routes they couldn't cover. And in October, every day there will still be routes they can't cover. On our next show, we're going to look at how universities are doing with COVID cases and safety protocols this fall as they've brought most of their students back to campus. Okay, now it's time for the second part of my conversation with psychology teacher and esports coach extraordinaire, Jeff Pittner. Last year, you probably, you probably had some remote learning. You probably had some hybrid, I, I imagine, for most of it. Were I think the hybrid, is mostly yep. hybrid, right? Of how, especially in a psychology class or sociology class, when you're, you're going through these kind of more heady topics and, and doing a lot of self-reflection and examination, and talking about like the actual dynamics of what the classroom looks like and, and changing that environment to something that is hybrid where you have some people that aren't there. And even for the people that are there, it's a limited amounts and, you know, people are wearing masks and maybe they don't know how to maneuver that right away. Mm -hmm. How big of a, of a overall change was it in terms of just the sociology of the class itself and how you interact with it and how they interacted with each other? I mean, even now, now that we have all the kids back in person every day, it's still the classroom itself just feels drastically different. There's just more on their minds. You can yeah. definitely see it. The, the, there's kind of that stress on their face all the time of I've got to do this. I've got to do that. But it's the classroom, honestly, is pretty quiet. Like I don't have to do as much classroom management as I used to. 
Um, especially when I was, when I'm teaching psychology being an elective, since the kids select to be there, it's not exactly a place that a lot of the more, the most difficult students end up, but I, you know, I get a fair share of them here and there. And I've had them years ago when I was teaching the requirements or the repeater classes, whatever the case is, but, um, especially with the COVID restrictions that some days I just look out at the class and I'm just met with a, a blank wall. You know, right. And when we did full remote days for a while last year, we had a, a surge and we just didn't have enough substitute teachers available. So everyone got sent remote. And here I was trying to talk to a class, trying to bring something for the kids because I knew they needed it. And it was tapping, it was bottoming me out for sure that I was putting, you know, years ago, I was given that suggestion of don't put more into it than the kids are putting into it. Uh, and you know, don't exhaust yourself when it's just ultimately not working with the kids. Uh, but I knew, especially last year, they needed it. They needed something more. They needed to feel some sort of normal. So we tried to do an online circle discussion where I gave everyone a chance to speak. But when the kids aren't turning on their cameras, I had maybe one or two kids total out of 150 kids that ever turned on their camera. Uh, and so I'm trying to encourage them to speak in order, but now we're just kind of waiting for somebody to type out a response. And some of them aren't at the computer. Some are in the bathroom, some are wherever. And it just felt disconnected. And so this year with them being back and even the ones that did come back last year throughout the year when we were in person, it's just looking out at that stone wall again. And a lot of them just don't really feel comfortable speaking. Some of them because they feel muffled with the mask on or whatever the case is. And others just because they don't really feel comfortable speaking anyway. Right. Uh, but it definitely is more difficult for them to speak up right now. So I'm trying to use technology to kind of bridge that gap and give them, even the, the kids that aren't as outgoing, a chance to have a voice. And especially with the circles, every kid has a voice. And that's one of the most powerful things to an adolescent, to a young person, just knowing that somebody's listening to you, especially yeah. the kids from a troubled background, a troubled home, maybe they don't get to have a family dinner. And so they just they need some way to speak and know that others can hear them. Because we've all experienced that moment. You're having dinner with some friends. You tell a joke, and then nobody laughs. And then somebody next to you repeats the joke you just said, and then everybody laughs. Like, what the heck, man? Like, that was yeah. my thing. And you're going to steal it. Is that because you hate me? And they start creating these stories. It's like, they just didn't hear you. But knowing that every person in the room hears you and what you have to say, and nobody's judging you right now is so big for the kids. I have kids that look at me, they'll come in and the start of class and they'll go, can we do a circle today? We have to do a circle. I'm like, you guys are teenagers. Like this doesn't feel like what you or your age group would be saying, right? Yeah. But this kid comes in and says, I got to talk about something. We got to do this. I said, okay, no problem. Let's do it. And we just had a quick chat, took us three minutes of class and he got it off his chest. Or let's say, heaven forbid, there was a fight that happened during the lunch period. These things happen and the kids are going to buzz about it. That's, you know, that's part of that human interaction. They want to talk about it. Well, if I address it in that circle, well, now we're taking care of it in that three minute span. Nobody talks about it the rest of the period because they got it out of their system. They don't need to yeah. whisper about it throughout the whole day. So it's been really useful. I've started using it with my teams, these kinds of just discussions. It's just authentic human conversation. Yeah. And when you think about humans, everybody just wants the ability to know that what you say is being heard and that people care. That's all you need to know. And yeah. that's what this restorative justice really gets to. People try to make it into what it's not. Uh, just like uh, I'm also, uh, I've been taking some classes in uh, urban education from Rockford University. And we talk a lot about you know, the critical race theory is a big part of what we talk about there. And that's a big hot button issue and people get all worked up over it, but they're misunderstanding the real, the purpose of what it's trying to accomplish. And yeah. they're deciding that it's a buzzword and that it's not what it really is. Um, and so it's just another chance for me to have conversations with the kids. And right. that's, that's why I really value these kinds of restorative discussions. And I haven't really had the opportunity to use it with discipline. I know some have had a lot of success using it as a disciplinary action, uh, just a chance to kind of say, not why did you do this, but more so tell me where you're at. Uh, where are we going to go from here? How are we going to repair this damage? Because there's been some damage done, either physically or emotionally, but how are we going to resolve it? And the kids are great. I've, I've tried that with my own children. Even when he was four years old, I talked to my youngest son. I said, okay, your brother's hurt right now. How are we going to fix it? And he looks at me and he came up with a very deep answer. Like they know how to fix problems. It's just a matter of, we didn't give them the voice to do so before. When you just say, go to the room, you're grounded. But instead I just get to talk to my child and say, how are we going to fix it? Like, okay, here's what happened. 
here's how I felt during that time. How did you feel during that time? And then what are we going to do to repair that harm? And then you have a good discussion. And if he, you know, sometimes he's going to be dodgy or sketchy or try to avoid that answer, but really guide them towards a real, uh, where they are coming up with a solution. And usually it's good. Uh, and then you could just say, okay, let's go do that. And, and then he went down and apologized for whatever the transgression was. I don't remember what it was anymore. No, nothing yeah. had to happen. And it resolved the problem. And he realized it mattered. His actions and words mattered. Yeah, and problem solving is something that I feel like once you break it down, just makes intuitive sense to people right away, right? Like we think about it even in my profession with journalism, there's a, a big kind of, not quite a buzzword, but something that people talk about at conferences and stuff is, is solutions-based journalism, right? Where so much work is saying, there's a problem somewhere and they're like, okay, well, we can do that, but why don't we also say, here's what experts say is how you can fix that problem as well, right? Attack it from both <laughs> angles. So yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense to, to move that into the classroom too for different things. And I know you mentioned with, you know, having some kids that might feel like they're having a more difficult time lending their voice to conversations now that you've had some success with mm -hmm. technology and trying to utilize that for it. Yep. Uh, we have something that the district is paying for. It's a, an interactive, essentially an interactive kind of PowerPoint presentation we use. It's called right. Nearpod, but yeah. uh, so I can put a chance for kids to pop up answers and then I can filter them if I need to or not. And then um, they can just get their voice out there. And there it's been said, you can leave it anonymous. Um, as long as you don't start the discussion with, hey, whatever you post is going to be completely anonymous, the kids are usually pretty good about it. Right. Uh, I've had a couple I've had to filter over, you know, due to not necessarily due to inappropriate content, but just just not directed enough content. Like the kid's exactly. answer was no. They're like, OK, so I'm just going to filter that out. We don't need to leave that answer up there when I'm asking a little bit deeper of a question. Um, so. There's uh, speaking to that this week, we've been doing circles just simple get to know you type kind of discussions, like would you rather questions, one of them that we had a great discussion on was, would you rather have access to a teacher's lounge or would you rather be able to drive the school bus. Um, not necessarily prompted by uh, my school district not having enough bus drivers this year it just happened to be a fortunate accident thing. Yes, but. Um, and a lot of the kids like, man, I want to go in the teacher's office. That sounds great. You know? <laughs> <But> <laughs> Which, uh, by the way, not a plug for this particular podcast, although now that you mentioned it. It, <laughs> it can be if you want. That yeah. can you know, start off with a would you rather. <laughs> but um, just having that discussion. But there was still like two or three kids that I could honestly not tell you what their voice sounds like. But right. then yesterday we had a chance to respond to a similar question on the screen. And so it looked like every kid answered, even the ones I'd never heard from yet. I saw that they'd been kind of writing their answers down on their paper, but they weren't sharing, but they didn't feel comfortable to say it. Now, possibly because it's been really humid the last week and a half here, and we don't have air conditioning. They promised that they're going to get it for us next year. Let's hope, fingers crossed. But uh, so definitely there was that overwhelming oppression of just, it's already enough just to exist in this room without having to post and say anything. Right. But I could move my fingers a little bit and type something out. Like, and so it gave voice to them yeah. in that way. And that is the difficult part about this particular situation, right? Is that like in the past, if you saw a class full of, you know, blank stares back at you, like you said, you, the whole, you know, I don't put in an, or only put in as much as they put in, you'd be like, okay, okay, I'm not going to exhaust myself over it. But now you look back and you're, you look out there and you see people completely just exhausted and you're like, yeah, I get it. Me too. A hundred percent. It doesn't hurt you to address it. You say, hey, look, guys, I really need something from you right now. I'm not feeling it a lot today. I need a little more from us. It'll help me. And since I've had that discussion with the kids already, hey, I told you what I'm like when I'm at my best. Yeah. And you need to help me get there. So one of the agreements I made with them, the one I made for every class is you need to be present. Uh, that's not just a physical discussion, but also a mental discussion. Like I know there's a lot, there's a million reasons why you don't want to pay attention right now. Uh, my class is probably the last thing you care about. And that's fine. I understand where you're coming from here, but I need you to be present because it makes me better. And if I'm better, you're going to enjoy the class more. Time's going to pass by more quickly and it's just going to be better for everyone involved. And some kids get it. And I had, <laughs> my kids were trying to quote unquote, do me a favor one year when an administrator was going to observe my classroom and they said, oh, we'll be on our best behavior teacher. We got you. <laughs> and teacher, the administrator comes in and they were on point. They were the most engaged I'd ever seen them in my life. And then the administrator left, they go, eh, how do we do? I was like, not only that, but how do you guys feel right now? And one kid looks at me and goes like, this was actually really fun. Can we do this every day? I was like, what do you think I do every day? This is literally the same thing I do every day. I wasn't putting on a show. I was literally doing what we always do. Yeah. They go, oh yeah, you're right. 
yeah, I should probably pay more attention in here. <laughs> <laughs> this sometimes just the, the blunt, honest wisdom you get from the kids is always, it cracks you up a bit. You know, and we, we always joke around uh, as staff that like, man, if we ever wrote a book <laughs> of all the things, just the events, the moments that have happened in our classrooms that only other teachers would just, they'd hear me like, yep, sounds about right. But then other people might be, what, what, what happened in there? What did that kid say? And why did they, how they responded? Like, no, that, that happens. Yep. We're used to it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of what the platform of the show is in a lot of ways too, right? Actually. Yeah. I, like my mom is a, my mom is a teacher and actually we've had over 50 episodes of the show and we've been threatening to do it since the first one. And the last episode of the show, I interviewed my mother talking about Saw it. that on the feed. I yeah, she, it's queued up for me. <laughs> it's, but she, you know, she's taught in everything from kindergarten to middle school music and everything. And, and she literally just texted me yesterday and was, was telling me a story of something of some kids said where, you know, like a pre-K student walked up to her out of nowhere and was like, are, are you mad at me? And, and she's like, no, what are you, what are you talking about? Everything's fine. She's like, because yeah, obviously they're wearing masks and everything. She's like, I feel like your eyes are angry. And she's like, okay, I'm sorry. I'll try to fix that, I guess, but I, I promise I'm not. <laughs> I'll try to do my makeup in a more, you know, a, a yeah. happy way, I guess. <laughs> it's time for some clown makeup, I guess. Something yeah, there. right, right. So, or, yeah. or just a I smiley did, face uh, mask or something. Right. I, I was exploring the concept of one of those clear face type masks on the front part of it. Oh, uh, yeah. I did apply, there's the Razor company, they make gaming peripherals, but for sure. they, they're making a heavily filtered uh, with glowing lights mask that uh, I applied to be part of their testing uh, wing of the, they're calling it a beta test, but it's a double filtered mask that's actively filtering. So it's, you know, it uses electricity and battery powered, but it has the open front mask. And I, I, I want to be able to have my students see me talk, but it's, you know, it's not a possibility right now. Uh, but that concept does speak to me and what I need. You know, years ago, I used to think like, well, why would I want to put on subtitles for something? And then I just had that moment of the light bulb turning. I was like, well, not everybody speaks English. You're like, oh yeah, duh. okay, subtitles, there you go. And that was just, that's all it took for me to, oh yeah, every time. And um, you know, I have a couple of kids that complain about it. I was like, well, it's not for you. I'll just, I could just play the old man card. Uh, you know, I'm not that old yet. I'm in my late thirties, but it, it's, well, I, 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 I can't hear what they're saying. My ears aren't going so good. I just, I just listened to too much loud music when I was young, whatever the case is. Yeah. But, uh, I get to play that angle a little bit. So no, that's for me. You know, just like when I make a joke in the classroom and the Too kids much don't Pearl laugh. Too much in the but... 90s, can't hear anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I I'll say something along the lines of, you know, I might make a joke. It might be a dad joke, whatever the case is. And if, if they don't laugh or respond to it, I was like, fine, you don't need to laugh at that joke. That's, that's fine. That's for me. You don't need to laugh at it. And usually that elicits some kind of a laugh response. I said, no, 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 no. I don't need your pity laughter. I don't need your, uh, I feel bad for you moment. That's, that's, that's for me. I'm happy with myself. <laughs> I'm picturing the, the 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 you know open front of the mask, where you, the clear one. I'm picturing like I, I don't know if you're a football fan. You mentioned you coach football, so I'm assuming that you mm -hmm. are. Of like last year when all the NFL coaches were having to wear masks, and Andy mm -hmm. Reid, the coach for the with his big City, plastic with the, shield, with the big plastic shield that's fogging <laughs> up, and it needs like windshield wipers. You're trying to coach <laughs> esports while your windshield wiping down. <laughs> It was, uh, well, with the coaching last year, it was a little different since we were fully remote. Uh, yeah. So it was definitely, it was hard for me uh, with trying to interact with all the kids as best. Like, I couldn't see what they were doing. Uh, you know, yeah. someone who would try to like turn on the video feed so I could see what they were doing, but it wasn't always great. And just trying to be present in the moment, it was very difficult and very taxing last year, even this year. I mean, it's, it's been a constant drain, honestly, since March. Uh, however many years ago that was five years ago at this point right that's what yeah, it feels yeah. like and, and it's just how much has been draining and then but then when the first day of school rolled around this year I got a big jolt back of energy you know that's that's why we're in this profession you know we're in it for the kids and they're giving back to us uh, whether they realize it or not even that difficult kid that's causing some trouble when you see that the eyes light up and they want to contribute and they want to ask a question you go okay this is this is why we're here yeah. <laughs> this is why I want to do this and all those questions you have going into a year as uncertain as this year is it starts to move some and I know there's a lot that have struggled this year and I really just hope that they have someone that they can connect to and have an honest conversation with uh, about where they're at mentally physically etc and so uh, and that's that's not just the psychology teacher and me talking there that's the human yeah. well yeah they need it I remember last year, like in the late winter, early spring, you were saying, I think it was IEA, the Illinois Education Association, had this survey where they were like, 
33% of teachers are, are thinking about leaving the profession. And <laughs> I, I, I found myself onto an r slash teacher subreddit and then I, you know, I monitor every once in a mm -hmm. while. And it just mm -hmm. seems like every single post is someone being like, I'm done. I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. And it is, it, especially going into what is already the third year of all this, I, I don't blame anyone. Well, and being... Illinois has got a little bit better plan than a lot of other states do. So right. we can definitely have that to kind of hold on to that. We do have some protections in place that we feel are scientifically valid, that yeah. are authentic and appropriate, uh, and that they are responding to our desires. Granted, there's a lot of things we wish we could have, like some of the things they're doing don't really hold up based on what the science is showing, but they're still doing just because that's what it looks like. You know, it's a little bit of security theater and safety theater. And right. there is something valid to that concept of feeling a little bit safer, but uh, it definitely, I feel like more needs to be done to, especially newer teachers, as we've known forever, the first several years of teaching are extremely volatile and can lead to a lot of burnout, lead to a mm -hmm. lot of leaving the profession. And I've been on that subreddit frequently as well. And uh, that's, it's still a lot of those same posts are still there. Uh, you know, I was on there yeah. yesterday reading somebody's long diatribe about why they want to leave. Uh, and then some other people asking innocently, which was kind of made me chuckle a bit like, uh, so I just finished getting my master's. Uh, how do I start teaching high school? <laughs> okay. Uh, it's a little bit, I, I'm not going to say too late, but yeah. Read the, room, not... <laughs> read the room a little bit here. <laughs> yeah. Or somebody else that asked a, a, a question that made me laugh quite a bit. I had to share with some friends. They said, uh, so I'm coming from a, a career in tech industry where I'm making six figures. Uh, how can I find a teaching job as a first year teacher in the, say, the $90,000 range? Oh, honey. <laughs> well, oh, dear. Um, you're going to have to look very far <laughs> and very wide. Far and, and wide. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's you know, actually... I did want to bring this because, you know, this show is obviously a show where we interview educators who are nominated and, mm -hmm. you know, for a reason, because they're, you know, someone finds them inspirational or feel like they're doing really cool work. I remember you mentioned, you know, maybe a, a couple minutes ago about that teacher that you had in high school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that, that teacher, is, is he kind of someone that pushed you or, or helped you realize that teaching was something that you wanted to do? I'd say it's more the connection we had together is what I wanted to be able to give back. I felt like I was given something amazing. I had some tough uh, emotional struggles that I couldn't really come to grips with in high school. That just didn't make sense to me. Yeah. And he was definitely a, a constant figure. He was the leader of that, uh, the Bible study club that I was talking about earlier yeah. that, I mean, he was just in the room. He wasn't running the study, you know, like he wasn't like standing up there with the Pope cross and just kind of giving a speech. He was just kind of in the room. And if we asked him for input, he would help us try to, he played, uh, well, it'll seem almost inappropriate to say, but the devil's advocate, he played quite frequently in our discussions and he'd say, okay, you guys are talking about it from this angle, but what about this? You know, so he didn't yeah. really direct us in that way but he was always present he was always there he was always encouraging he tried to uh, involve us in discussions as if our opinion and voice mattered and that you know I talked to him personally when I was having those emotional difficulties I'm talking about and uh, as many high schoolers do for sure and he was he was there he was present he was attentive and like I said earlier he listened and that was huge to me. Not that I didn't feel like my parents listened to me. It's just that on this topic, I didn't really want to talk to my parents about. Yeah. And he was there for me in it. And then throughout college, I still continued talking to him. And I realized that like the way he taught it, the way he addressed it, once again, to wrap everything into what we've been talking about throughout, he taught history in a way that made me realize that these were not just names that existed in the past with one bit about their lives that mattered. They lived a full, enriching, fulfilling daily life full of 24 hours a day nonsense. And all we remember about them is that, oh yeah, they once went on a boat and went to this place and put a flag in the dirt. Right. And so we tried to connected and he or tried he, to have us he invented the cotton and... gin <laughs> <laughs> oh eli oh yeah uh, but he had Shout us out eli whitney yeah <laughs> he had us acting the parts out so he said okay we're going to talk about the rise of this character to the throne so you pretend you're this person you pretend you're this person here's your inspiration let's talk it out and then as you're talking he'd add some more uh of the facts into how you would be responding and how just to see an authentic reaction of a human talking about it and you know we got to ham it up and mess around a little bit he's like oh and now she's giving you the googly eyes how are you gonna do now yeah. and so it was just and he put music behind it because he was a big uh he loved listening to movie scores and so he'd put the music behind it. He put out the old CD player, 
pop it on whatever track number he knew it needed to be on and he would sync it up because he knew the music so well so as he's telling us the story the music's building music's building until this big moment crescendo symbol clash and then we, what the what was it just because <laughs> he synced it up yeah. so we felt Hans the story building the as, of 1812 absolutely or <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah. and and so i just felt like it felt so real that we it just opened my eyes in a different way and so i felt like okay not only was he there for me but he made history feel like it was real people and so i don't know if i'd say i disliked history before then but i definitely really appreciated after his class and then it was very disappointing to go to the next teacher who put his feet up on the desk reading the newspaper every day uh, and popped in the latest ken burns uh, vhs tape on the old machine uh, and then just kind of had us watch that for a bit you know i tried to get something out of it but it wasn't the same as experiencing the stories of uh, of the yesteryear and so i wanted to not necessarily teach it the way he did that's not my style um I'd rather have there's no more. hot there's there's no John Williams behind your <laughs> no life. John I tried it a couple of times did I, you really I I had a I interviewed for a position where uh, that teacher was actually on the hiring board so I was applying for a job back at my alma mater and he was uh, one of the faces in the room helping decide if I got the job or not and so I tried to model after one of his uh, methods of teaching and I tried to incorporate the music but I didn't try to make it build on a lecture or anything I just had them analyzing the music etc and it didn't quite go as well as his would have. Uh, yeah. I don't necessarily regret doing it that way. I think that was a solid lesson. I think I did use it a couple of times. I don't feel like making something for no reason. I want it to be usable, especially in a workshop situation. Uh, I try to, as I, at any time I do any kind of professional development, one of the things I kind of tell myself before I go is I am going to develop something or learn something at this professional development session, no matter how innocuous or stupid it sounds, I'm going to use something from this session. I want to learn something from this and apply it to my classroom and use it and see how it goes. Uh, and so that's the same way I did with that. Just even though I was just uh, interviewing for a position, I wanted to create a lesson that I felt was authentic and real and I wanted to use someday. Yeah. Uh, so that was, it was pretty effective. I liked it. I say probably around that class or the impact of that class and that, that connection that you guys had is something that made you want to give that mm -hmm. to someone else. That connection just made me realize like that's that's what the teaching was all about to me that yeah. okay yeah there's a content and I know I've seen many colleagues that the content is the king and that's the only thing that matters. Like what here's my syllabus day one let's go we're talking about it you're going to be bored to tears in this class but here are the rules and i'm going to smack the crap out of this ruler on this garbage can and bother you if you're not paying attention to me and to me that was not what I felt the teacher connection is not that the teaching connection is only emotions and feelings but content is not the only reason they're there these yeah. are young people not just young learners um now some will definitely i mean content is definitely a part of what we do it's how we get to those points but we can definitely bring the content in with that discussion authentically and when you make that connection with the kids they're more willing to do the work they're more willing to learn with you and they're going to ask you more questions rather than just a couple of kids that are looking to get a grade or whatever the case may be and that's the connection i wanted to have with kids i always said like look i got a lot from one teacher this one time and i would like to be able to just have one student i've had that connection with down the road and share that moment with whether we still talk afterwards is not the important part i just want to be there in that moment for a kid that needs someone because for yeah. whatever reason they can't talk to their parents they can't talk to their friends maybe they don't have enough around maybe they just don't feel comfortable whatever the case is but to have that someone you can feel trust in as an adult figure and be that person to talk to that's not i'm not there to hang out you know i'm there to be there and support them and what the, whatever they need right and then they can they can hang out at you know esports right <laughs> hang out a gaming club we have yeah. a, we've had uh, upwards of 100 kids a week come on out so i mean we have a school of about 2000 and i can pull in 100 kids a week no problem and some of those kids will then go on to go to the football game right afterwards or maybe they'll just go home because that's the only thing they do is my club and yeah. we bring in a lot of the kids from the special ed department so we have a, a lot of uh presence you know it's it's a diverse cast. Like if you come into that gaming club, it just feels like a subsection of the school because it's it's the one language pretty much all of the kids speak. And it's just amazing to have that moment, the kid with his arms in the air, man, these are my people, I am home. And so I can feel that on the inside too. Like, you know what? Yeah, I feel kind of at home too. You know, I'm a bit, you know, obviously I'm nerdy too. So that helps, but yeah. like it's 
nerd is kind of the language of pop culture right now in our country. And that's not just from Marvel and DC fault. It's kind of across right. the board that the nerd culture rules the pop culture right. and tapping into that's a lot of fun. Yeah. And we can do some Marvel and DC stuff too. I may or may not have a Tim Drake poster right <laughs> over there. <laughs> uh, I might have a collection of Funko Pops over there that not necessarily Marvel, but they are related to a lot of stuff we do. Uh, and some of the games we play, like our esport titles, I have some of the little collectibles around just as kind of a party. And I want to make sure my room represents me as well as the content we work with. Yeah. So if I have something on the wall, there's a purpose um, that if a kid asks me a question, like, oh, absolutely. And I'm going to tell you a story about how that relates to chapter five, whatever the case is. Uh, <laughs> but it's been, I've kind of moved away from the textbook, at least for my on-level class for psychology due to the COVID uh, concerns and how classrooms work. Uh, but my AP, I mean, we're kind of, since it's advanced placement according to the college board and what they need, you know, I've kind of got a little bit of it. It's a little that internal struggle of like, well, here I am teaching to the test when I don't want to have to teach the test. But I mean, that's why they signed up for the classes, what they're looking for. So that's part of, you know, I have to do it kind of that way to really cover the materials. But once again, it all goes back to, I show the kids my grand kind of scheme and plan for things. And I know for sure when I was in school, I didn't consider that the teacher had anything planned out. I never really thought that there was like, you know, lesson planning. I thought it was just a list of everything they were going to do. Right. You know, so I never really thought about, oh, this teacher knows exactly possibly what we're doing in three weeks from now. Um, right. Or if they did, it would be like, oh, in two weeks, we're doing chapter two. Right. Because like it, yeah. maybe that was the furthest extent of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, being part of it, and then you get into those discussions of people like, well, I could teach. I was in school for, you know, 13 years. I know how school works. Like, eh, not really. Uh, but we're not trying to say we're better. It's just that, you know, we want to be, we want to feel like we're professionals, that we know what yeah. we're doing. We're experts in what we do, and we need to be given some room to be able to do so. And yeah. that's been some of the fortunate element of teaching an elective like I have is I'm given a lot of leeway since uh, there's not as many state standards coming down towards my specific content area. So I can yeah. hit some of the language arts standards, some of the social studies standards, but our district is not expecting me to cover every one of those like many of the content area teachers do. Yeah. So I have some freedom. So I, uh, uh, I do a positive psychology unit with my regular, my on-level psychology students uh, and my AP level, they talk about it a little bit, but they don't get to have as much fun with it. So it's, it's great to be able to have those real moments. Hey, here's what the research says. It says, if you do this, this, and this, like our first unit this year is talking about what scientific happiness is. Yeah. How do you measure happiness? How can you measure happiness? And because I don't know, smiles per hour. I'm like, okay, I don't know if you're trying to make a joke or not. Pretty but clever like, though. <laughs> I yeah. liked it. But uh, it's, that's not authentic. So, okay, here's what documentary shows. Here's what the research shows. And let's talk about how we can practice it. Not that I'm forcing them to be happy, but this is the science, this is the research and let's do it. Yeah. All right, well, I, I don't want to take up too, too much of your time. So I, I'm going to keep, I've got a couple core questions for you left there. Uh, I have one more psychology, sociology related one for you, and then we'll move into a couple final, more fun esports related one. So one of the questions, the, the sociology, psychology one is one that I like to end pretty much all my interviews on, no matter what the topic. But for you, is there something about teaching high schoolers and just teaching psychology and sociology that you wish more people talked about than when they talked about it. Is there a part of it that you think is just more important than people might think who are on the outside viewing what that must be like? As far as struggles or just content or? Just, just content and what it looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, the one I always stress with the kids the most is something that most Americans are very guilty of. Uh, I know I'm guilty of it from time to time. It's an essential psychological concept looking at, um, Confirmation bias is obviously a major issue when you talk about politics and you just yeah. see what you're looking for. And we talk about, okay, Friday the 13th, is it actually spooky, scary, or do you just remember it better because it's Friday the 13th? What about Friday the 12th when you saw that one dead dog on the side of the road? Ah, whatever. It's, it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. It's just Friday the 12th. Well, well you, uh, Friday the 13th, it means something. But more importantly, looking at um, other people, like we brought up earlier, the idea that looking at people as living their own life. So maybe you got cut off in traffic. You don't know their story of why they're cutting you off. Maybe they're distracted, that's possible, you're right. But the real concept looking into, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they're exhausted because they were up all night at the hospital with a loved one. Maybe yeah. they're concerned over something that happened at work. Maybe a disagreement they had with a loved one. And you don't know their story, but we're quick to judge. And when it's us, we're great at admitting that, you know what? Uh, I had a bad day. 
Uh, I said those things. It was hurtful. I'm sorry I lashed out in anger because, because. But we see somebody else. They're not allowed to have a because. They're just dumb. They're just bad drivers. And we like to name what state they're from when we look at their license plate. That's what we did <laughs> in my family growing up. Yeah. Look at this Indiana idiot. Yeah, I, I recently <laughs> learned, my girlfriend's from Wisconsin. I recently learned that they have like a whole derogatory nickname for Illinois drivers. And I had no idea. It was like a it was like a madman Don Draper moment where I was like, we don't think about you guys at all. I, I, what do you mean? <laughs> Other than when you cut us off in traffic, oh, come on, Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, oh my God. Of course they're going slow. <laughs> But so we call that out and we say, man, look at this num- this knucklehead, this numbskull, whatever the whatever insult we feel like throwing out the window. Usually numbskull. Flying. Usually numbskull. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, and we don't stop to really consider, even for a moment, why did they do that? Uh, you know, and so that's what I stress with my kids. I, granted, it's part of my content. It's what we have to talk about. We talk about that, and it's definitely an American issue more than it is in other countries, whereas in uh, more collectivist societies, they view it the other way around, where they view it's always the situation that influences behavior and not the personal disposition, whereas we're the other way around. We say, that's just who you are. That's the person you are. And so I just encourage my students and I encourage others to start thinking about it in that way. Like, okay, the kid that got a zero on that exam, just give them a moment and think that maybe they're having a really bad day and start over with that process. Maybe they're not, maybe they really are dumb. Maybe they really didn't prepare well enough. Maybe they really don't care about your class, but just this once, give them a moment, give them that benefit of a moment and saying, okay, what's really going on and what's going on in your life. And how many times I used to, you know, thinking back to my early years of teaching, if I I talked to a, a former student of mine on a zoom call last year, just wanted to check in and, uh, give her an interview real quick. Like I said, we're talking about happiness in class. And so yeah. I wanted to interview people about happiness and tell me your sources of happiness for you. And so I said, here's an excuse. I want to talk to my first students and the ones that added me at least. Uh, and so I talked to her in, about that. And it was that same kind of concept. Like, okay. Why do we care about what other people go through? Why don't we care about what other people go through? And it was a, a great discussion to have, just having that connection still to a former student of that nature and just kind of being able to, it's great knowing that I have people that I have touched their lives that I haven't seen in years. And they still, they tell stories about something that happened in my class or some activity we did. And I'm not even thinking about them. I'm not thinking about that year. I'm not thinking about the project we did, but it's still there. That that legacy is kind of lasting. That's another thing that my mom says all the time where she's like, you know, they might not remember every single piece of the content, but they are absolutely going to remember the way that you made them feel. Right. Yep. Yeah. And so it's not like I tell my kids, we're not having a hippie moment here. We're just talking a little <laughs> yeah. bit about our, our yeah. experience because yeah. it matters. And just being able to stop and say, okay, right now, just consider for next time. Maybe your teacher doesn't hate you. Maybe that's not why you failed that assignment. Maybe yeah. they don't hate you. And we could turn that around. Maybe you uh, hate your students and that's why you gave them the grade you did. I know there has been several times that I got a little bit of a internal satisfaction when a certain student got a low grade. Uh, not that I would intentionally lower it on purpose or anything of that nature, right. but uh, it, I mean, that's, that's human. You know, having that response to a kid that's been giving you some trouble. Uh, but it's definitely one of the moments I want to really leave the students with. I try to talk to my wife and my family about it. And I don't know if they're as excited about it as I am, but um try to leave that lasting thing of, okay, sometimes, well, when people act, they act the way they do, and it makes sense to them. Yeah. That's the one thing I was too stressed too. Interesting. It made sense to them at the time. Maybe they can't put it into words, but they acted in a way that they thought was the way they should have. And then later, wait a minute, what was that about? I'm sorry, you know, but you got to give that chance of maybe it's the situation. Maybe they had too much caffeine. Maybe they had too little caffeine. We're all addicted to that too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeff, my last question for you. This is kind of the obligatory one. And it, it, you know, it brings back to, this will be a little bit of a walk before I get to the actual question. Because when I was doing my research and I was thinking about our conversation, I was thinking about you know the esports club. And like we mentioned with like League of Legends, we're like, these are like, you need a computer, you need a great internet source. And I was thinking about like, I'm not that old, but it feels like when I was like 15, technology has shifted a thousand years. And I was like, I remember being like 15 and, you know, I, I, I so badly wanted to be one of those kids that had like a huge group of like modern warfare two people like going online <laughs> and my house, you know, way out in the country in Sandwich, Illinois, in you know, the cornfield in my backyard, we literally did not have Wi-Fi, So I like literally could. <laughs> so I had to walk to my neighbor's house to play in his basement <laughs> 
And that just feels like I'm Laura Ingalls Wilder. I'm Little House in the Prairie in 1850 or something like that. That's such a long time ago. But basically what I'm getting at is that like, oh, most of my favorite games were single player games. Cause I, you know, we didn't have, they just, I wasn't playing them online. And I was thinking that, you know, some of my favorite games of all time are like Batman Arkham City, uh, Pokemon Crystal is another one up there. So I feel like Classics, yes. we're, we're talking about video games. I have to do the obligatory one, Jeff. What is for you? What's your favorite game of all time? I'm going to show my age with it because it's going to, it always goes back to what you were doing and how old you were when you were doing it. Same thing happens to all of our likes. Another yeah. psychology concept we talk about when your favorite music, not only is it when you were a teenager, typically what you remember as your best memories of music but it also is when your parents were teenagers uh oddly enough so you like the music you liked as a teenager in high school and then you also like the music your parents liked when they were teenagers you heard it growing up is that why so, i listen to steely uh, dan <laughs> that, that yeah. could be it <laughs> that's why i listen to some bread and some queen that's what my dad listened to all the time but yeah. that's not that's not my thing that was his thing but okay so the gaming uh we had uh an eight-bit machine uh, we had the Sega Master System growing up. Granted, my dad brought his uh, his Atari 2600, Atari 5200. He had an old Pong machine at my mom's uh, dad's house. Um, so, but really, the the one I sat down with the most, the one I played the most, was a game called Wonder Boy. Uh, it's actually got recently remastered, remade for current generation. They just kind of updated the graphics, and you could press a toggle switch to make it back to the original 8-bit graphics uh, and the music. And it was just kind of an adventure game, uh, a chance to morph into different animals and go fight the bosses and stuff like that. But it was just the, the um, uh, it was difficult. All those games were hard back then. Yeah. It was because they were tr they were designed to eat your quarters. That was the whole purpose of those games. And there was, uh, I read an article recently talking about a game on the Super Nintendo, the Lion King movie game that was intentionally made more difficult because of blockbuster video. Uh, the game was... Uh, they didn't want the game to be able to be defeated within one rental period of the three days at the time. So Incredible. they wanted the game to be too hard for to be defeated in three days. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so a lot of what those games scheme. intentionally were created that way as a scheme. Well, now we've got other schemes. We've got monetization. We've got right, microtransactions. Uh, right, yeah. They've got psychologists on hand that are working to make you more addicted to these games. That's what those timers are for on those different Facebook games and phone games because they know you'll come back to press the button in an hour. So they know they've got you returning. Otherwise, you might just play it wants to be done so they want to create a reason for you to come back yeah. so back then that that tactic was well just make sure you got to pop more quarters in so here i am playing this game that was adapted from an arcade game but it was hard so every time you made progress it felt like a great sense of relief and i went back to it and played it again and i did okay i i'm probably better playing it now than i was back then i would think that i wouldn't be as good because i'm not playing it as much now but i either look back and look at my previous self like man i was really bad at games or <laughs> how did i not yeah. see this or obvious I was, clue i was a or... child also yeah <laughs> yeah and because that memory that rose tinted glasses of that time period like man this is really hard and you go to play it like either it's hard because it's intentionally difficult or it's hard because you just weren't very good at it. Yeah. Or just like gave up. <laughs> I had friends that like played Pokemon when they were kids and like didn't realize that you could get like uh, a, a flash HM, which like basically like, like didn't realize that you could get a flashlight to make your way through a dark cave and just spent <laughs> hours aimlessly barging into walls until they got out. They're like, I had no idea that it was easier. <laughs> We had games that my brother and I would play a lot. I'd always force him to be the second player for uh, many reasons. One being yeah. that I was older, so you know he would not get the good controller or anything of that nature. He'd get the controller that kind of works. Yeah. Uh, but we definitely um, play that together, and it's, it's the language we had together, and it's the language our kids have today. So it's definitely something that needs to be done with them and for them. So that's why I'm glad I'm able to do so. It's been such a treat for me to uh, like. If you tell myself when I'm a kid that okay, you're going to be a teacher someday. And on top of it, you're going to be in charge of the gaming club. You're going to have the latest game consoles on hand in the school library for kids to hang out and play with every Friday and just kind of chill, just have a space to be and not have to worry about anything and then go to the, and then go to the football game afterwards and then do it again next week. Like, no, there's no way. They're not going to let me do that in school. No, there's absolutely no way. <laughs> or on top of it, tell me that I can do it with a virtual reality headset. Uh, hey. it's, it's just because <laughs> i the game I, I there's a game show i loved watching when i was a kid called nick arcade and in that game uh the 
participants got to be inside the video game. So they're interacting with the green screen by waving their hands and trying to collect power-ups and move around physically doing challenges and such. I always wanted to be on that show, but some of these VR games kind of get you into that space where you're able to interact with the game in that way. And that's just great to work with the kids and have them see them have the fun and just get to know each other. And, you know, we did a discussion one day, just kind of passing around. um, I had a, I don't know what I had. uh, I think it was actually... I have it over here. Uh, I had my little uh, Fallout uh, yeah. vault boy here. And we passed that around the room and everyone talked about why they were there, what games they wanted to play and some moment they had in gaming that they resonated with. And every kid shared. And I saw one kid look at another and he go, you know what? I've seen you before, you know, but I never had a reason to talk to you. I'm glad we got to talk right now because you and I both play the same game. So let's go play and talk. And so it's just like, hey, (laughs) they're doing that thing. They're humans. They're existing together in a space. And they're not worried about all those other barriers that prevent kids from spending time with each other. You know, race, whatever the case, uh, social and economic status, all the grade, all of those things that might be a barrier for a kid ever getting to know each other. The one common common denominator, they play games. And it gets so many kids open up. I talked to one therapist that said that if they have a kid that's not opening up, that's all they have to say. Hey, what games do you play? (laughs) <laughs> and then suddenly here it goes. He wants to tell you all about whatever game he is that he's playing. So it's uh, just great to be able to allow our kids to have that space where they can be themselves and they don't feel like they need to try to hide. Because for me as a kid growing up, it was very much like video game is what I do at home and I can never mention it at school. Yeah, That's not allowed. You're going to be in trouble if you mention it. If you ever manage to sneak a handheld into school, you're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> And it's going to be taken away. And now, yeah, it might still get taken away. Uh, it depends if they're using it appropriately. Um, right. I mean, I saw a kid today during class think that I wasn't going to notice that he was playing Tetris while I was teaching. Um, See, that's why they, they brought those uh, TI-84, those uh, graphic calculators that had games on it. That was the secret hack when I was in high school. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, it is getting that point. I am getting older. I'm definitely missing out on a lot of the memes that the kids are doing. And one of those definitions of the word cool definitely involves age. Yeah. We don't think that we don't want to think it is. We could think we could stay hip. But no, that's literally part of that definition of cool has to do with age. So we uh, they're letting us know that we are no longer the cool ones, but they're willing to put up with us from time to time. And that's the parts we enjoy. <laughs> I love it. All right, Jeff. Well, again, hey, man, thanks so much for taking some time out of your schedule on a Friday yeah. to chat. I had a blast. I hope you had fun talking about yeah. all this stuff. I really appreciate it, man. Absolutely. We got some more tryouts to get ready for next week. So, you know, the esports thing is go. We are absolutely on point. Thanks again for listening. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on our show. It's how we get all of our great guests like Jeff Pittner. Send them our way. Teachers Lounge at niu.edu is the email and wherever you're hearing this podcast go ahead and subscribe leave us a rating share the show whatever you can do so it gets more ears and more teachers more perspectives makes the show as good as it can be a big thank you of course to the rockford area band kind of our favorite band here on teachers lounge for providing the music that you hear during every episode of this show find more of their music on soundcloud shout out to spencer trip for our teachers lounge logo as always and i have been your host peter medlin and we'll be back with more teachers lounge very soon see you later